Radical Truth is a podcast produced by TBLI Group and hosted by Robert Wittgenstein. TBLI is making the financial system work for all. Our podcasts cover the wide range of ESG and impact investing topics. What it is, why is it booming, is it really helping, is impact regenerative in nature? How will climate change impact investments? There will be regular interviews with thought leaders, some known, some not known, but all brilliant, and we will have engaging conversations with all of them. Can we create an economy based upon well-being? Let's make the financial system work for all. This is Radical Truth. Peter Koenig, a global expert on the meaning of money. He will discuss what he has learned in educating thousands about what is money relationship to self, other, nature and money is at the heart of this, not as philosophy or a nice to have, but as a hands-on practice. Aside from the usual exchange and discussion in these sessions, Peter is offering to give a practical demonstration to any participants who would like to try his system out in situ. This is Radical Truth. Greetings from our studio in Amsterdam. I'm thrilled and honored today to have a very old friend, not an old guy, very just old. a friend, Peter Koenig, who is the definitely the, the godfather of understanding what does money actually mean. Some logistics information uh, for those of you who are just joined for the first time. If you have a question, just type it in the comments area. Please introduce yourself in the comments area. Hi, I'm Peter from so, so and so. And if you need desperately to connect with anyone here, all of the people will be on your phone app, in the group chat, or in the attendance list, or on your uh, desktop. If you move your mouse over the person, you'll be able to send a, a private message. So for those of you that are from another planet and have not heard of Peter Koenig. I'm going to let Peter introduce himself and say and explain, you know, what he does and um, how successful have you been with that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, Hello, everybody. Um, Nice to see a few familiar names um, passing through the participant list. And hello, Robert. And thank you so much for this invitation. And it's really a pleasure to be here with you because as you say i'm very very old um old enough <laughs> old enough to remember when TB, tbli started and and old enough to remember that i had an in, initial objection um i don't know if you remember i said robert you can't put profit on the same level as people and planet um you have to put people and pl- planet first but quite rightly you insisted to start with triple bottom line and look at where you have come with that. It's been really fantastic. As for me and your question, um, I've been looking at the relationship to money. I started researching this uh, actually almost 40 years ago to try and understand my own relationship um, after successes in property and uh, studying economics at university and and being at uh, business school and uh, being a strategic consultant to top managers who were double my age, um, I, I, I realized that there was one subject that was never being addressed and had what I appeared to me to be have quite a strong impact in decision-making. That was the relationship to money. And uh, when I started to research it, Um, I went back to university business schools and found that actually it was virgin territory. And that's what started me off. And it took 10 years research to really get the answer I was looking for and develop a process to um, be able to, well, to put it shortly, help to people like myself first, but other people to change their relationship if they felt the need to. And, um, that's been the largest part of my work over the last 30 to 40 years. So I've been successful. I've helped, I think, thousands of people with their relationship to money. 
Um, but I haven't been totally successful. What I really like with you, Robert, and TBLI is that you're always challenging because so you've been very successful in getting, you know, the amounts of money um, in start. We called it SRI originally. You could re repeat that. My wife is listening. <laughs> You've been incredibly successful from the first days when it was called SRI and TBLI and impact, you know, right up to impact investing to get to, to seeing trillions come in right now and, and even more money coming in to this field. But I love the way you keep challenging and saying, you know, are we really making any difference? Is this real impact? And I think you're so right on. And uh, this is where my work is going too, because you and I are old enough to have been putting our, you know, doing our work, doing what we love, in fact. But if we look at what's happening in the, on the planet right now, um, in terms of scientific indicators, we haven't yet made the dent that we want to be making. Um, and I like the way that you're putting that out so clearly, and I'm putting that out clearly as well. So impact is really... Um, at the center of my work, has always been at the center of the, my work, and I believe we're not yet making sufficient impact. So that's uh, my little introduction for you. I, I had a, an unusual question. Let's say Donald Trump and his family called you, and they said, we want you to do a workshop with us. We don't think we have a problem, but some people think we have a problem with money and being a narcissist. One, would you work with them? And two, if you did work with them, how long would you keep going until you realize you're not worth the effort? How long would – say that second part again. Okay, so if, you, if Donald Trump said, okay, yes. Peter, you got to help me in the family. Yeah, yeah. We want I would to say pay. yes. I say yes. Okay. How long will you work before you realize this is not worth the effort? I mean, I'm sure you've had people come to your workshops and come again and again, and they still struggle, and they, can't, they haven't really changed their attitude toward money. When you not, no, it's not true. First of, all, uh, first of all, you must understand, Robert, for many years I forbade people to come twice. I didn't allow people. And afterwards, when I did allow them, I only allowed them in – I used to call them my little failures. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I didn't allow them to come back at the beginning, I'm a little softer now, I'm a little more compromising. But at the beginning, the reason is that what I've developed is such a simple system that I was insisting that people not only come, you know, my standard uh, money seminar was and still is pretty well two days. I don't, I, I've been training others to give them now, but two days. And I said, you know, in two days, we can work on your relationship to money, but actually the system is so simple that you must take this system and use it for yourself. And you shouldn't be coming back to me. You should be able to use it for yourself. And if you ask me how successful, you know, sort of percentage-wise, uh, of course I'm not 100% successful with everybody that comes to me. But I think my batting average is not bad. I would say um, – 70% at least. What? Uh, 70%? Yes. Yes. And of course, it's been increasing over time because, you see, I don't have a closed process. My money seminar and system is not like, you know, now I've developed it and it's finished. Mm. It's been refining and refining and refining over 30 years. And uh, I've been training others to work with my system. And uh, for me, their work is only good if it's better than mine. So that's the, that's the challenge I've set myself with the people that I've been training, that they take my work, but they don't just copy it. It's not like something just to, to replicate. Mm -hmm. They need to actually put themselves into it and, and even, if possible, do it better than me. But so, What is success? What, what you say 70% success. What does that mean that – People give, you know, give away all their money because it's such a horrible reflection of them or they want even more money uh, or they're happy, you know, being uh, rich and uh, obsessed with things. What is success? 
So the success is, um, and this has been the bottom line of this work from the very start, is that they're more capable of realizing what they really want to realize in their lives. So um, at the bottom line is listening to their calling, why they were born ultimately, and to be able to put themselves into a space where they're not pulled away by other aspects of life and particularly not pulled away by their relationship to money to do other things. So uh, let me just say a bit more about that because if you look at how you were educated, I was educated, and almost everybody is still educated, we have been educated in a system where we're supposed to work to earn money to then when we've got this thing called money kind of sorted out, then we can start to do what we want in our life. Now, this worked very well for your and my parents and, and grandparents and previous generations because the end product was material industrial products and it was extremely successful. But what we failed to notice in the 1960s and 1970s was that the needs, our needs were changing from material products to immaterial ones. So if you ask people nowadays, what is it you need? People will say things like security, health, um, uh, happiness, a feeling of self-worth, um, freedom. These are immaterial things and you can't get them by, this is the tragedy, if you like, you can't get them by earning, by working harder and earning more money. So success is getting people off this hamster wheel where they think, okay, I need to have money for my security. I need to have money for my happiness. I need to have money to have choice in my life. I need to have money to exist. Now, these are all illusions which people who are on a hamster wheel don't recognize yet as illusions. So if you say, I need, you know, I'm going to invest my money because I, when I got 25 million, then I'll be okay. Then I can start to do what I want in life. So you can't imagine how many of these people I've had over 30 years. They all have the same experience. They get to, if they're successful, they get to 23 million. Mm -hmm. Nine and etc. But by then, their life has so evolved that the, the, they, they need to have 50 million. So it, it's a, a perpetual hamster wheel. And success for me is helping them to recognize what's happening with them. And doing this is what I developed over these 10 years a, a, a specific intervention in their process, which is like reconstructing their neural pathways which helps them to decondition from this, from this conditioned program, which is in our education. So that's what I call success. And but with, yeah. um, um, second and third generation families, family offices who are petrified about the figure of most of the third generation loses all the money. <laughs> and so that third generation has a lot of pressure. So it's not only the pressure of the money, it's the pressure of not losing the money. That's and, right. You know, really upsetting the family, which you have to sit down with regularly for dinner. That's a different issue with relation to money. It's a different issue, and it's another one we can deal with. You see, with my approach, I can deal with all the issues, every single one. So uh, I've described actually only half of the hamster wheel. The other half, this is a, a half that's known pretty well. There's another half which is not recognized at all. And at least half of the world population, or at least the half of the population I've been dealing with, are actually unconsciously pushing money away from themselves. They don't like money. Um, they uh, feel that money is bad, feel money is evil, feel, and many in, still, even in the investing field, the impact investing field, <laughs> have these issues. Yeah. So, so we need to neutralize those issues as well for people to be able to, to, to work well with money. 
So we can actually, um, with my system, we, we have the ability, I talk about we because I've trained many practitioners now, we have the ability to diagnose exactly uh, what the issue is, whatever the generation is, and to help that person get off what is a conditioned form of patterning so that they kind of neutralized and then they can work freer with money in any direction. It means that they can be feel freer if they have more of it, if they have the same amount of it, or if they have less of it, or if they have debt. In other words, whatever, it's not dependent on the figure at the end of the day. And the, what comes more into focus is what am I doing with my life, actually? But so life and love become much more important. That I, I could see that that might work with individuals whose that is their own money and they're looking for purpose. But I think of uh, the civil servants who work in a pension fund. I mean, for me, they're civil servants. They think they're masters of the universe, but for me, they're civil servants, the functionaires. Their job, and asset managers at BlackRock and Goldman Sachs and all the others, their job is to increase and achieve a performance. So how do you deal with someone like that? Listen, I am fired if I don't get more. I can't go down, even though I find my purpose and I really like it, but I got to perform. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's like um, cogs in the wheel of the institutional machine, whether, yeah. whether it's government or whether it's industry or wherever. Now, um, the bottom line in a sense of this work, as is, in one sense, it's, I, I use the word love, but in another sense, it's consciousness. So, mm -hmm. and, and it's like you can't bring a horse to water and make it drink. Yeah. Um, so... People have to be, to do this work, and that's why it took, it's taken a long time to build it up. <laughs> um, it needs a certain level of consciousness to even ask the question of what is my relationship to money and how is this impacting my life? So the people that you might be thinking of and describing are not even ready to ask that question. And they need, in a sense, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but they need to be cogs in this machine for as long as they need to be cogs in the machine until they, you know, ask this question and are, and are starting to develop themselves in other ways. So my work, what I've been doing is, I, I think you remember I came to your conferences a couple of times. And, and you did and, a session on the meaning of money and how the various religions. Yes, yes. And if you remember, it attracted very few people, you see. Yeah. Even in your circle. Yeah. I had, I don't know if Rosanna Grimaldi is here, but uh, it attracted. Not today, but, but I still have contact with her. Yeah. It attracted Rosanna Grimaldi and a few other people. Yeah. But actually, people were still much more interested on the returns on their investments, yeah. the financial returns. Of course, of course. And, and if you look at society at large, it's still much the case. But I, well, the reason I've stuck with this work, Rob, Robert, is when I had this kind of recognition, I was like a gift to see what was happening with the relationship with money. What I recognized then is that if money is not dealt with in this kind of way that I'm suggesting, none of the big questions we're talking about climate change inequality and many other big questions now. None of them can be answered because money, the relationship to money is weaving through all of them. So it's like the elephant in the room. People, you know, are doing, uh, or ha you know, re wonderful work with renewable energies and, and God knows what. But then they come together to work together in partnership. And then they have to figure out, well, how do we deal with the money between us? And um, I can't tell you how much work I've done uh, helping people in, in that kind of area, well-meaning people with wonderful projects, mm -hmm. but getting stuck then into, into situations, personal relationships with each other where money is not really flowing well between them and having to sort that out. You said that people have to be at a certain level of consciousness, which means 
be, you have a high percent of success because you're already filtering out the losers. You're filtering out people that don't have a level of consciousness, so they're more receptive to what you're saying. They are attracted because they, they feel something. You know, I used to be an expert in marketing, Robert. Really? Yes. So what did you sell? <laughs> a business kind stick. of garbage. Okay. Well, I started, at, I was a salesman at 17. I was selling central heating in London. That's, <laughs> another, that's a whole, of an, whole other story. Okay. But actually, um, I, at business school, I was known uh, for, I got best marks in marketing. But when I came to do this work, I used my marketing and it all failed oh, okay. because what I had to learn was that when you reach a certain level of consciousness at a beyond a certain level, it's not about going out and giving some kind of a hard sell. It's actually um, promoting what you sort of giving a vision of what you're doing and you don't know how you don't know where the people are going to come from. It's like sending out a message and allowing the resonance to occur. And this is what is happening still now. I, I, you know, I, when, when people come to my seminars, I can't sell them my seminars. I can only send out the message. And people somehow, sometimes say, well, what's your target group? And I can only say, well, I, I don't have one. I, I need to be the target for the people uh, to come to who who want to do something with their relationship to money. And it's like looking at truffles, looking for truffles, because people are sometimes only ready the, de the night before or the morning before they're ready. And I'm sure it's the same with you and your work, actually. It's the same with you because you're, you're actually attracting a pretty high level of consciousness as well. Uh, yes, it's true that uh, if people have a low level of consciousness, there's no point in shouting loudly in German to someone who speaks Chinese. Or yeah. You're not going to get anywhere. So yeah. that's true. They have to be at a certain level. But how do you get them from, because I'm dealing with people who are financial professionals, who are incentivized for short-term behavior. So... I always focus mainly on the irresponsible investors and criminals for a couple of reasons. They have a better sense of humor and they have more money and they're very predictable. They're very pragmatic. But it's still, how do you get that level of consciousness to the point of, hey, maybe what I'm doing is not my bliss. Maybe I need to look at something else. Or maybe what I'm doing is my bliss. And I'm happy, you know, uh, making money grow. I remember my wife, I introduced my wife to somebody, an old school friend who worked at Cantor Fitzgerald, and she said to him, I don't understand, what is the fun of trading money? And he looked at her bewildered. He says, what do you mean making several million dollars in you know two minutes by trading dollars? And she said to him again, again, I don't get it. What is the fun? So they were really on two completely different levels of consciousness both happy with what they're doing, but uh, how, tell us a little bit more how your system works. How do you get someone to a level of consciousness before they do the course? Well, I don't do that, of course. All I'm putting out is a vision and an offer and seeing what comes. So one of the secrets maybe is that I'm not hung up on numbers, on quantity of people. So I go, for example, when I was giving seminars, I was going wherever I felt the need. And I've done seminars, many seminars with two or three people, which, which other seminar givers would probably say, I, I, I won't go. Actually, <laughs> I went to North Germany for a seminar with zero people. <laughs> you are 100% successful <laughs> well let me tell you it's a nice little story let me tell you why because the person who was organizing it put so much energy into organizing it mm. and he got nobody coming 
And I couldn't understand why. He didn't understand why. And I said, well, look, he's put all this energy. I want to give him the credit for this. So I flew up to northern Germany and I spent three days with his family. Mm. And on the second day, he happened to be a cutter for Ted Dayef, the television station. He said, Peter, I've never made a film before, but I'd like to make a film of you. Oh, wow. So actually, we spent two hours in his father's studio where he interviewed me and we made, and he spent a year cutting to make this film. And actually, it's turned out, you know, to be an incredibly promotional event, promotional thing for me without any intention of, at all. I wouldn't have cared. I would have gone home without any intention of having any particular result. But this is, if you like, this is how I've been working. I've just been following where I feel I need to put myself and allowing to come to me what wants to come to me. And that's the how I continue. It's catching up to you. Uh, you're not pushing any, it's, you're, it's, it's coming to you. But I'm from Brooklyn, so I need to be a big person. So how does the system work? I mean, I come in there. There's nobody in the room. I'm the only one, or I'm with people. What is, is it? Body work? Is it? Uh, is is it just you know PowerPoint presentations? No. What What do you do? What, take us through the process. Okay. So um, you come in. I mean, it's normally a circle number of people, and actually, it's a process of of exchange and dialogue most of the time. Um, process-oriented. So what I'm looking for is what each participant is needing, why they are coming, what they're looking to um, achieve in, in a day or two days, or it can be shorter than that, of course. Mm -hmm. And, and what, is, what is the relationship to money that they're looking to work with? Now, the key here um, in terms of the process is to understand, and this was what I took seven years to research, understand what money is for each person. And everybody who's listening to this, um, if you want to do a little bit of uh, research for yourself right now, you can just ask yourself, what is money for me? Because this is actually, it's very simple, my process. It's the key starting point. So I would ask you, Robert, what is money for you? Mm. And you'd have maybe two or three or 10 things come quite quickly without giving them too much thought. And that's the starting point. Now, the second thing is then to understand how money works and where money is. So most people think of money um, as, a, as a thing or a promise or, um, or, or a, a key for distribution or a social technology or um, if I look at what Harari said, he says it's a universal mechanism of trust. Mm -hmm. So you can have hundreds of definitions. Mostly the money is my freedom, my security, uh, my happiness, my peace, etc. Now, what you need to understand is that money is not what you think it is superficially like this. And very few people have researched or looked into this. So what you say or think money is has a consequence, but is not actually what you think and say it is. So what it is, is a neutral medium onto which you project these attributes. And this is the key thing to understand. So if you say money is, money is security, so I, I've happened to have a little bit of what's called money here in front of me, it's actually just a piece of paper, which could be like another piece of paper. But if I hold both of them up together, um, people usually see which one they prefer pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So... If you understand that, you, see, you can understand that actually the money is in, not anywhere else but in your head. Mm -hmm. It's in your, in your projection. And this is the key thing to understand first about what I'm calling uh, the money work. Because if you are projecting 
without being conscious of what you're projecting. What happens is that the medium you project onto, and in this case, money, takes over and becomes your master and you become its slave. <laughs> so if you're conscious about what you're doing with it and what you're projecting, it works through projection. If you're conscious what you're projecting onto it, it actually works for you and you're the master, it becomes your servant. So it's, it's a mirror or a projection screen. That's right. That's, that's actually how it works or my suggestion of how it works mm -hmm. and what we are really not aware of um, because we've never been giving it thought or never been taught, never been educated in that. Have you ever looked at or researched the number of people that came to your course because you only let them in once. Like maybe you'll let them in a second time yeah, yeah. You know, if they don't, if they behave themselves. And that they quit their job and they change their career. I'd be curious to know, uh, because we, we saw that a lot when we started TBLI. And I said, remember, coming to TBLI will not only, you know, change your, your life, it will change your job. And I, I discovered many people quit their job. Yeah. And look for a different purpose. Yeah. Did you find, do you find that also with people? All the, all the time, all the time. It has to do with raising the level of consciousness. You know, ultimately the money work has nothing to do with money. It's to do with consciousness. And as you raise your level of consciousness, you will want to stop being an employee. And you will want to start looking at what you're doing with your life and take you know, your life becomes your life project, if you like. Um, and you want to do things that you love doing, not to be on the hamster wheel, um, to not be doing what you love doing. So um, now it sounds quite simple, but many people, of course, I have many people who've left their job. Yeah. Um, usually they're unemployable afterwards. <laughs> Even if they want to go back to a job, Several of them are attending this seminar. <laughs> so what happens is that you really do, as your consciousness goes up, you I was unemployable at one point. You become unemployable. It's not because you don't have all the skills and talents, but you, you, the people that you're going to for a job um, are scared the shit, shitless out of you because they, they feel the energy and the power that you've got. So, you know, with, with this rising consciousness. But actually, what you're on a path is to create your own initiative, to create your own um, uh, life path, actually, or your own project. Now, this sounds very simple and very nice. Mm -hmm. But what is needed to understand is that it's not the end of the path. So the people that have done my work, what they understand, and the people that, my, that are my trainers really understand is that you must continue to do what I'm calling this consciousness or in, in practical terms, reclamation work. What the work involves, so the, how I help people change their relationship to money is that when you, are, when you know what you're projecting onto it, onto money or onto anything else. And this becomes your slave, your, your master, and you become its slave. The way you actually decondition yourself and solve this is that you look at the projection, say it's security, and you need to reclaim this inner, this security to your inner self because you've disconnected from your inner security and you're now putting it outside yourself on money. So the key is to actually, and I use a language for this, say to yourself, I'm, I'm insecure and it's perfectly okay to be insecure. And at the same time, I'm secure with and without money. I'm using language as uh, the system to actually decondition. But what I want to say with this is that once you've done one thing, you will feel liberated and free, but then comes the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And if you leave your job and start, you know, your own project, it doesn't mean that you have, you're suddenly enlightened. <laughs> you're going to be challenged and you're going to be pulled back by the old system 
with the next things that need to be reclaimed and the next thing that needs to be reclaimed and the next thing that needs to be reclaimed. And so this is a, a continuing um, process. It's a wonderful process. And I'm, I'm quite proud that my, all my trainers and practitioners really understand this. And every time I meet them, their consciousness is in, in a higher and higher place. I have a fantastic community of practitioners because they're, they're continuing and continuing and continuing to do this work. They're doing wonderful work because they, they don't stop. They know they recognize it's really necessary. And I'm the first one that recognizes I'm, I haven't stopped either, of course. I would think that um, family offices would be very interested in what you're doing, but the private banks that might have them as clients would be terrified of letting you loose. You are the the financial terrorist. You know, you are, you are you are the Donald Trump of of a, uh, going, sieging the cap sieging the capital. Um, so. Most, I would imagine most of your high net worth or asset owners come directly to you, but not through advisors. Is that true? That is true. And, and let, me, let me say it's still very early days at that level. You've been doing it 30 years. It's not early. I have a lot of patience. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a lot of trust in the people that I'm, the practitioners I'm training. The people are going... The key is, it's not, the convincing is not hard. The hard part is access. The more zero somebody has, the more isolated they are. So you always need someone to open up that door. But, you know, even, you know, I've had them come in individually. Mm -hmm. um, people from companies, for example, um, naively thinking, ah, well, you know, when they come in, they will want to be sharing this in their company and had a lot of experience that actually when they, when they have this experience themselves, they don't necessarily want to share it. They want to keep it for themselves and keep it more private. So it, is, has, mm. been, it has been a longer process, but and um, it's accelerating right now and it, it needs to accelerate more because without this acceleration, um, the, the, the issues that that greater has been bringing in, for example, and other people, inequality and 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 climate change. I mean, these you and I have been dealing with this and knowing this for thirty years that this has to be dealt with. Uh, but now it's actually coming into the public awareness in in a way which we would have dreamt of even ten years ago. But the actions being taken are yet not sufficient here, and. And, and this is where my personal hope is that we can catalyze action um, on a much bigger level now and that people will be readier to look at, you know, I think COVID may even be a help in this, that people are much more ready to put themselves in these processes because, you know, you can see we've got a, we've got a wild financial system right now. It's completely wild. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Elon Musk puts a one and a half billion into into uh, into Bitcoin and the whole world goes crazy mm. <laughs> you know uh, it, it and and all the money being created um, as a result of covid for things um, which I feel are important but up to this point up to covid we were saying you know you can't you you know this shortage of money for all the social things etc we're seeing what a what a, a lie that is actually. Mm. I think that people, uh, asset owners, forget that dying rich is not an accomplishment, uh, where they think that it's a great accomplishment. I want to take a couple of questions. Marcel, you know, a recovering pension fund manager and, and billionaire, but he hasn't told his wife, uh, was asking, well, what if you first work for the common good and don't have money to support this work for society? We need money for doing this work. I don't have the luxury to be wealthy. I thought you were. I can work well with money if I would have it. Okay. So let me answer that very directly to Marcel. So um, 
couple of weeks ago, I don't know if Alessandro Mela is here on this call, but uh, I'm not sure. I was at one of his um, forums last, a couple of weeks ago with investors, and I was saying that um, actually there are only two people in the world who can't do anything. They are the richest person and the poorest person. And all the rest of us are in between. So, um, Marcel, there is definitely somebody who is wealthier than you, but there's also definitely somebody that's poorer than you. So I don't accept your excuse that there's nothing that you can do because with the amount of money that you have, you can go out somewhere for sure. And if you choose to give it to give some money to a poorer person than you, because there definitely are some. And if you need money for your project, you can go out and look for somebody who's richer than you. And there's no reason why you shouldn't go and do that and ask for it. So I don't accept your reason for paralysis. But uh, wouldn't it be better if everybody just adopts your approach, which is lay down in the hammock and everything will kind of come to you eventually? It just might take 30 or 40 years. Well, I, I, I lay down in the hammock until I feel called to do stuff. <laughs> At the moment, I'm being called to do a hell of a lot of stuff. I'm not doing much laying down in the hammock right now, I can assure you. Okay. But actually, yes, it would be better if everybody was like me. The world would be wonderful, of course, <laughs> as everybody thinks. <laughs> Steve, ask a question. Could you give us a macroeconomic and psychological view of money, meaning the myths of the market and the economics, which I guess programs more growth into many of us? How does one rationalize how perpetual growth is untenable but the world seems to maintain mainline on this drug. Okay. Um, to cut it short, because I could give a very long lecture, um, but I would suggest I would suggest that you look up the work of of somebody from the 17th century called Samuel Hartlib, H A R T L I B, because he and his um, group of intellectuals in that time were actually the creators of the present money system. And the present money system, the way it's designed, intentionally has a growth imperative in it. And it was deliberately planned that way to give impulse for risk-taking. And um, so there are two aspects of it. There's the system of money, which um, most of you know and are dealing in. And then there's the conditioning over several generations, which is what I've been dealing with, which is totally coherent with this growth imperative. And um, I've spent a lot of time with people who recognize it's time to stop growth and try to reform the existing system. The problem is you can't reform the existing system if you don't do this inner work that I'm talking about, because the the system has been built on this, this inner conditioning over many generations, and your parents, my parents, and our grandparents, and our grand-grandparents have almost, you know, it's, it's almost like a genetic conditioning, which is why I call it a reconstruction of, of neural pathways, the work that I've been doing. So I haven't gone into detail in the macroeconomics, but it is explainable in terms of the uh, time period of the Enlightenment, after the Enlightenment, the system that was created after the Enlightenment for science, advance of science, the Industrial Revolution, and uh, linear production, which is taught at management schools and still being taught today. So uh, this is all a very, very coherent process and what we need right now, and this is the, the challenge, is to build a new system with new monies, new currencies, um, and more, which is, has that same level of coherence as the existing system which we're coming out of. Because to deal with one or two SDGs, for example, is insufficient. 
because you'll still be dealing with the same financial system, for example, at the bottom. Okay. So that's a, my one attempt your, to answer quickly. One of your fan club members, Dr. Crins, is it a way that you have to trust on the universe that it will provide in the end? I don't think you have to do anything in life. But I think it helps to trust. Um, actually, it helps to trust where you trust and it helps to mistrust where you mistrust. <laughs> <laughs> I think I love the statement, uh, uh, trust in God and tether your camel. I think that's a very why that's, that's a really good piece of, I think it's even Sufi wisdom. She, she, Ricky went on to kind of elaborate, but it, for her, it, le it led to a lot of stress, not having any income, bills piling up, and she gets it, but she doesn't like dealing with the stress. Does your training or engagement help people dealing with the stress if they don't have the monthly cash flow to cover the bills? When it works well, yes. Because um, being in stress or being at peace ultimately has, you know, if you go down below the surface, doesn't have to do with the quantity of money in any direction. So you can be very stressed, as I'm sure you meet these people all the time, uh, being a billionaire. <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> so have very stressed billionaires you have very stressed people in debt and you have stressed people with, with nothing. It's true. I find asset owners not very balanced. Yeah. Most of the ones that I, that I have met. Yeah. Uh, most are, you know, uh, they almost seem like hawks. You know, a hawk is kind of hovering to pounce. <laughs> you know, there's no kind of chill about it. It's just constantly, you know, <laughs> vibrating like that. Yeah, afraid, afraid, fear of missing out on something. Yeah. So, so, but I do understand Ricky's question because in my experimentation, um, you know, I once had a, uh, as a younger man, I had more money than I, much more money than I needed, and as I started experimenting to look at this work and do this work, I actually ran out of money, or what's called ran out of money. I had seven francs in my my um, pocket and was in Switzerland and was quite sort of stressed with that but the relief came when i recognized what my projection was on it and that was i was associating money with my existence so this was an incredible um uh, moment for me to recognize that um existing had nothing to do with money because i was existing i didn't have any money or i had only a tiny piece of very little money but actually, I didn't feel my existence threatened at all. Mm. Now, this was actually one of the best gifts that I've received in my life, having that um, insight at that moment helped me tremendously. And I probably wouldn't be able to do my, the work I do if I hadn't had that experience, because I meet many people stressed in the same way that Ricky's uh, talking about. And I can come from and deal with that from my own experience and share that as well as well as just do the, the, you know, the work with my system. So, um, so I do have a deep appreciation. Um, and in a sense, you know, the work, you know, I'm living in Switzerland and people sometimes say, you know, you're, you, it's very easy for you, you know, you're living in comfort and an elite, et cetera, situation and special and look at the poor people in Africa. But actually this doesn't, really doesn't touch and really doesn't apply because I can, I've been dealing with people in all of all walks of life, in all kinds of situations. Um, you know, some really, really crisis, deep, deep life and death situations, and uh, been able to help them with uh, with this this particular system. It's been a great privilege uh, to be able to do so. Can, uh, Henrika had a question. Um, can you list examples of actions you are observing? and consider positive or effective and kind of broad well i would say as i was suggesting before 
um, to do a little experiment like I, I did started doing, which started me in this work 35 years ago, is to just take and start with small amounts of money and try to give them with love. Give money with love to somebody else, and you'll see what happens. There'll be all sorts of different reactions you'll be getting. It should make you very curious, as it made me. But you, can, you, don't even have to, you don't only have to give. If you are with very wealthy people, you can actually ask for money and, and um, try and see the love that flows when they give you money. Um, because many very wealthy people don't know what, really don't know what to do with their money. And they're having, I remember being in one seminar uh, where by chance, um, uh, two members of a family were from a very wealthy family. And uh, they, they met there by chance, an aunt and a, and, and a nephew. And the aunt was saying, my poor nephew, you know, it's a terrible situation he's in. Every month, money is pouring on top of his head like chocolate. <laughs> so, so, and, and I know that there are many people that feel like that in this kind of situation. If you, if you have, you know, these millions and, and you, you know, you're in shares, this money is just pouring on you all the time. And, and, and I know that, you, I mean, you know better than me, it's difficult to find good places to put it at that level of quantity. That's why I'm talking about small quantities, because if you start getting a sense of where you make an impact, a real impact on people's lives by just moving money with love, then you can get a better, better sense of what you need to do with larger amounts as well. Um, I, I had a question over here from... Uh, Cornis from the Lucht. Working on a blueprint for integrated multi-capital or new accounting. I've had long debates with people on monetization, some for, some against. The real issue is not monetization or not. Even if the currency we work with is work of, in producing things, implementation and commerce where, where potatoes or bananas, there will still be some egoists who end up seeing that currency as a goal in itself. The real issue is time frame, short-termism versus long-term, and scale, economies of scale versus small is beautiful, not, question mark. Not, so he's... Or not, or not. I, I think I can agree with that. I think I can agree with what he's, uh, with what you're saying. Uh, it's quite a sophisticated um, statement. Corn a very classy guy. <laughs> uh, Bonnie was wondering, um, many people don't have access to opportunity, education, are stuck on the hamster wheel as they need to pay their mortgages and feed their children or be born into the Trump family or, no, I added that. How do we create a different more adequate system, trickle-down economics is broken. Well, it was never really working to begin with. So, you know, my, my suggestion as I've been making it here is actually starting very modestly. So um, my, my deep belief is you have to start with yourself and not a system outside yourself. So you start with your, if you like, with your own system and go out from there. So as you become more conscious, as I become more conscious, I see more places where I can actually do something which were not available to me before. So it's like I have with each, let me put it another way, with each part of myself that I've been projecting outside myself, whether it's into money or into something else, each part of myself that I reconnect with, I develop another strategy for dealing with life as it's presented itself to me. So I deal, in another sense, I, I have a new, another investment strategy, whether it's a financial investment or whether it's investing myself somewhere. So that's my answer to that kind of question. So it, to change the system outside needs to change, we need to change the system inside. And 
The real question is, in dealing with a collective system, and this is where we are right now looking at things like climate change, there has to be, I think, a critical mass of consciousness to really make an impact. And that's why this work for me is so important that we're looking, we're doing this consciousness work because I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that when we bring our energies together and all our projects together and our new technologies together, we do have the intelligence to hopefully to answer these big questions. But if we're sitting in our silos and each one with his own project and saying, well, actually, Something else needs to happen out there before I can start to do something in here. Then we're going to feel disempowered and lost, and we won't even start to to do something. So the work, in my view, does start with each one of us in here. And I hope the message is coming across that each one of us does have the ability to do something, even if it's passing small amounts of money with love, and especially with passing small amounts of money with love. And how do you do that? Oh well, write a little heart on the on the on the cash. No, no, please just send me your bank account, Robert, <laughs> and I'll show you. <laughs> Actually, we we had a moment like that. I think it was last time because we, we say if people want to support us, so make a donation to the foundation. And this person who I didn't know sent me a mail. I love what I heard. It was great, and he yeah. sent us a thousand. Euro. I was just blown away because that was the first time that that had ever happened. So he's got the message, you see, and that's what needs to be happening more. So you know, I can send you some money. You can send it back to me if there's love there. This it's like love. Love flows without in all directions. Right. Well, I, I think if the money came in, I don't think Ricky would send it back. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it would probably stay there. Um, <laughs> um, Bonnie was saying, well, when people have so much food insecurity, getting them interested in climate change is going to be a, a, f- a big jump. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Because you're dealing, you're not dealing with poor people who are coming to your sessions. I, I am too. Oh, also, okay. I didn't yes. Know. I have people who are of all levels of wealth and all levels of debt. And actually, that's what makes the work very interesting because you put them in the same room and the exchanges that, you, that happen, uh, they learn incredibly from each other. You know, if, if we put a millionaire or billionaire in the room with somebody who's heavily in debt and that person explains how they're managing life and particularly if they're able to managing life well there's incredible learning that can take place and in the opposite direction too of course but are the is the billionaire more stressed out than the the homeless person i wouldn't i wouldn't say more or less it depends this is where it comes down to the individual so much to the individual and the way they're looking at what money is and how they're treating it so i've had Advant- I've, I've had both. I've had, I've had people with heavily in debt with, with, um, with, no, with, no, with very little stress or no stress and billionaires with a lot of stress and vice, and vice versa. It, it tends to be people who have a lot of money, I would say, do tend to be stressed. Um, I, I think you've had that experience too. So the money is the money is not having more money is not necessarily de-stressing. Although if I did, I did. I don't think I told Ricky about all of those billions. So <laughs> that has actually occurred. How can this audience? Because you're trying to scale up your uh, consciousness outreach. Yeah. Of putting a heart on the dollar or the euro or the Swiss franc. What can this audience do to help you? I know that you're coming, you're doing a big event, hybrid, face-to-face, and uh, virtual. What can this audience do with respect to thought leadership, attendance, outreach? Well, first of all, uh, well, yes, uh, I am putting on a big uh, congress. It's like the biggest challenge I've given myself 
Um, now, it's one hundred thousand attendees. Well, this is the was my estimate, and we'll see how many actually uh, actually show up in reality. But when I tuned in at a certain moment, I saw it, and it's it's for April, and you know, COVID has come along. It's like a moving situation, and I don't know how many there will be. But if you look at if you want to look at create love in all in one word dot business type it in the chat part there you've put it in the chat well if you tell me how to what what's oh. it what is. create create love in dot oh. business and love l-o-v-e-i-n l-o-v-e-i-n yes business and written out completely yes business written out completely okay so this is actually still a work in progress website. We've, I'm so ambitious with this that my team, I've got a wonderful team of 15 people, and they've been working very hard to get the website up. But I keep on coming with new stuff, so it's not quite ready yet. So please, if this is of interest to you, do join this Congress. This is about uh, creating love in business as the new bottom line instead of financial results as the bottom line, uh, creating love in business. And for any that are really interested to do this inner work, um, I'd like to offer, um, where shall I put this? I've got um, my, some of my practitioners' work I can offer as well. Okay. Uh, it, the, it's much longer. The I'll send, can I send you the link? Uh, to to everyone when we send the the link for the replay yeah, for the I'll send you I'll send you the link to that so there you know there are some online programs now with some of my practitioners um doing this money work so if you feel if any of you feel that this is something that you would really like to to do for yourself your relationship to money to expand I I call it expanding your relationship to money um and and helping to know where to ex invest or or where to find investors, etc. Um, then there are some online programs now on there this subject. We're two closing questions here. I wanted to know your website doesn't seem to have contact information. Is that by design? No. It, oh, contact information. Yeah, my contacts are there on my website, um, and the uh, uh, my email address at least. You can reach out to uh, Peter because everyone who registers for any of our events, you have this private database that you can okay. reach out to them, send them a message. Just it's on your phone or on your desktop. If you have any problems, just ask me. One final question from Lizette. Can you say something about what keeps people with money from putting all their money behind their ideals? Yes. Um, it's, it's what I've... Um, it's what I've explained, actually, uh, in terms of their, that they have a projection onto it, like, let's say, keep it simple, like security. So I have wonderful ideals. Um, but if I put all my money into my ideals, will I feel secure? And if I have my security attached to my money in my mind, then I'm going to start feeling insecure. And if I don't want to feel insecure, then I'd better put money where my, where I think, my money where I think it'll be secure first. But, but then my money is not going to my ideals. So that's actually what's happening with very, very many people. And this was the start. The question actually relates to how I started doing this work because I was working with top business people who, in, in taking them into retreats, working on their values, their visions, and their purpose in the 1980s, very early days of doing this work. And they got so excited and they were so enthusiastic and they were saying, coming up with all sorts of promises of how they were going to change the world. And then I saw after two or three years, it wasn't, they weren't able to do this. It wasn't happening. And then I recognized 
that the relationship to money was actually pulling them away from their ideals. How they had it set up in their neural pathways was pulling them away from doing their ideals now and pulling them away from their values and pulling them away from their purpose. Mm -hmm. So this is, what, this is what actually motivated me to get into this work, to bring the relationship of money into line step by step. It's not an instant thing, but step by step, bring you into line with the, with the ideals or the values. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Uh, we're going. Thank you, Peter, very much for your time. Thank I you very much, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure. Always is. Always is. Thanks. Stay well. Thank you to our guest and audience for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please subscribe where you listen to your podcast. This was Radical Truth. Stay safe. Stay safe.